Today's guest is hands down the most versatile performer in racing and freestyle. He's also the most celebrated motocross freestyler in the world. He's amassed over 10 million followers on social media, but he's the most celebrated because he's backed by data and wins. He's the winner of more X Games Golds, Gravity Games Golds, Dutour, Red Bull X Fighters Golds, and when that wasn't enough, he stepped into NASCAR and put together a string of top 10 wins. Travis Pastrana is a household name in action sports and quickly becoming a household name in all of sports. When I met him two years ago at a Red Bull event, it was a special moment for me, but not just because of who he is, but how kind he was. We exchanged numbers, have stayed in touch. Now fast forward to podcast launch, I scheduled a time to talk about not just his world-class athleticism, but how he's built the next billion-dollar sports franchise in Nitro Circus. Talk about the modern athlete. Travis Pastrana is the best in the world. He creates premium content, launched a freestyle event circuit, hired employees, raised money, JV'd with the Rain Group, and we're only seeing the first of it, I think. In this episode, we'll talk about the flow state of action sports athletes, how they put their lives on the line, and how specifically Travis is a man of commitment to the task. Trav also lets us into his world of fitness and nutrition, injury recovery. There's been a lot of it. And then we dive into the nitty gritty of Nitro Circus. It was a blast. I'm your host, Paul Rabel, and welcome to Suiting Up Podcast, where I interview athletes, media executives, team owners, and other key stakeholders about the duality of the modern pro athlete their startup investing appetite, other strategic investments, new co's, social media influencing, creative marketing, digital strategy, the list goes on. Today's athlete, whether active or retired, is continuously redefining what it means to be a professional both on and off the field. Multiple-time advertiser on the show, my friends at Barbasol sent me a personal shaving kit to clean up the edges of my beard. And now feels and looks much better, I think. And that's because the biggest thing to happen to Barbasol since shaving cream is also the only thing to happen to Barbasol since shaving cream. Introducing new Barbasol razors. The brand America trusts for a close, comfortable shave now has premium disposable razors. Barbasol's close shave technology on every razor means you get an advanced pivoting head and ultra-thin open flow blades. The Ultra 6 Plus Razor also features a seventh blade, specifically designed to refine and style tricky areas like under the nose, sideburns, and my beard. Visit Barbasol.com and get a $2 savings coupon and see for yourself why Barbasol razors are the number one new disposable razor around. You're looking good, America. You're shaving with Barbasol. I live a life on the road. And that's from training to competition, to things like the Rabel Tour, speaking engagements, and most importantly, of course, travel to my podcast guests' locations across the country. Having compatible luggage has become greatly important to my mindfulness and relative ease of transport. And that's why Away is first-class luggage at a coach price. Their approach is simple. They create special objects that are designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way you travel today. Away built their product from thousands of conversations with travelers around the world. Here's why I personally like their luggage. They source only high-quality materials with nine color options. The interior design features a patent-pending compression system, which is helpful for overpackers like myself. It's TSA-approved combination lock that's built into the top of the bag to prevent theft is really helpful if you carry on your bag like me, or potentially check it. Removable, washable laundry bags 
keep dirty clothes separate from clean, which if you're like me and I work out and sweat a bunch, that's super helpful. And they have built-in chargeable outlets for your devices that inevitably run out of battery. But last but not least, Away has a 100-day trial and a lifetime warranty on products. That's both. And now, because you're a loyal Suiting Up podcast listener, I've sourced a great deal to layer on top of an already affordable product. You can get $20 off a suitcase if you visit awaytravel.com slash Rabel and use promo code Rabel during checkout. That's right. $20 off your suitcase, awaytravel.com slash Rabel, promo code Rabel at checkout. Away. It's first class luggage at a coach price. Enjoy. We're going to start. So we're both here in Annapolis, Maryland. Your ranch is unbelievable. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> you haven't even seen the back, man. It's crazy. It's so big. There's ramps everywhere and... Well, this is, this is a test facility for Nitro. I mean, my job now is actually safety. It's, you saw the, the guys yeah. from uh, Bag Jumper out there working on new bags uh, right now and just getting everything fixed up. And yeah. we just had a big event here where um, everyone comes out and tests ramps yeah. because like, since 2002, not much has changed in action sports. And I'm like, man, why do we used to do this in the first place? We wanted to go out because we wanted to innovate and try new stuff. Now the problem is you're going 100 feet in the air. I mean, Josh Sheehan was literally 100 feet off the ground, triple backflip with a 250-pound motorcycle. I know. And it's like, all right, we gotta we gotta work on our safety because yeah, th- this is this will kill you. <laughs> so you're you're among many roles, right? You're you're, you're a performer, you're a shareholder, um, you're you're a marketer on behalf of the country, you're or on the company, you're a, you're an endorser of the America. product, <laughs> yeah, and the country as well at this point. <laughs> um, safety now a part of it. How how are you? Um, how are you figuring that out, right? Are you just some like physics major and no, understanding no, trajectories? <laughs> and it's interesting because like when we worked with Red Bull a lot, like um, New Year's No Limit, yeah. um, Red Bull goes to the athletes and says in motorsports, said, what, what can we help you with and how can we make it cool and fun? I said, well, look, Ken Block's out there and he's doing all these Jim Gymkhana videos. And Amazing. He's, Ken Block's yeah, the best. No, he's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. No, but, uh, <laughs> no so Ken, Ken was, was beating us in the championships because he was able to take these jumps flat out. His car wasn't breaking. And I'm like, let's fix that. So uh, Red Bull went out and was like, all right, let's build the biggest jump ever. What's the world record? I'm like, Ken Block has it. Right now it's, uh, you know, it's 130 feet. They're like, all right, well, let's double it. And we and more, we it. more than doubled it, and we went and we figured out the car, and then we won the next four straight U.S. championships because we had the strongest, toughest car with the Subaru. And that's like, it's cool to have companies that that back that, and that's what Nitro has really taken, um, and myself, you know, kind of a, a page out of their book to say, okay, yeah. you know, we want to do spectacular, we want to do amazing. But how can we make this last? Where's, where's the longevity come from? And that's the youth and being able to be attainable. Yeah. Um, especially now you see social media. It's, it's all about, you know, kind of going out and being able to be a part of it. And now, I mean, yeah. literally the guy that just got fourth in the world championships was a snowboard kid, went to Woodward. He's good on scooters. He's good on bicycles. He got fourth as a BMX rider. And he sent a YouTube video that he made and edited himself to my wife, Lindsay. Yeah. And three months later, he's on tour in Australia. And two years later, he's one of the best in the world and the only rider doing what we call the America Roll, triple backflip 360. Yeah. Pretty cool. So what's pretty cool is sitting here with you. You're 33, I'm 31. And I've like idolized, in a way, the best of all time racer and freestyler, uh, the multiple disciplines that you've competed at, all the gold medals across all the competitions. Um, and, and then the duality, which is the, what this show is predicated on and going out and founding Nitro Circus, 
off the back of media, which is something that I try and produce often in lacrosse and what we're doing right now with this podcast, turning into event business, uh, raising money, going through um, you know, interchangeable C-suite executives, leading the company now. It was Australia HQ. Now it's in LA. We talked about the different practice facilities. We're at one now here in Annapolis, Maryland. I want to dive into that, but I want to start first like with your story as a four-year-old when you first rode your dirt bike and like who got you into that what was that experience like and then you and I talked a little bit earlier before we started recording which is that that kind of that zone that you get into when you're on your bike and it's just like me time slows down and this is why I love doing what I'm doing well I I think sport is very simplistic um you have a very defined goal um, that's why it was always easier for me as a racer where freestyle took a little bit longer to understand the dynamic and, and kind of what it was about, yeah. um, you know, with a judged event and with, you know, being a showman was kind of a, a whole different aspect to riding a dirt bike. But, um, you know, growing up, my dad was a Marine, um, you know, on the weekends, if I ever slept in past seven o'clock, you were a lazy pile of whatever, but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and that's why you lived, grew up in Annapolis, grew up in Annapolis. Yeah. I mean, it's a very military back town. That's, um, very sports. I mean, my uncle, uh, Alan Pastrana was quarterback for Denver Broncos in 69 and 70. He, uh, got knocked out by a uh, high tower, uh, Bubba Smith or Bubba, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. The, on police Academy. And, um, what was interesting about that is he was the one that was like, do not go into like, cause I was Navy junior wrestling and all my family was conventional sports. He's like, dude, football's too dangerous. Football's too dangerous. So yeah. my parents got me a dirt bike. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> yeah. That's unbelievable. And, and so you, so you have this athletic gene and, uh, you play different sports. You're, you're non-traditional in your stature. I mean, we, we we're both six, three, six, four ranging. Well, I'm, I'm a little smaller than you are, but I don't yeah. know, man. No, we, I, mean, I took I'm, my I'm shoes like, off I'm up a, in I'm your a, kitchen, <laughs> and, and I thought you were a little bit taller, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the runt of my family, actually, but that's why motorcycles kind of came involved. Because, okay, my dad has uh, five brothers. Uh, my mom has two brothers. Yeah. They were all sports. They all were um, you know, construction. Um, you know, my, one of my uncles was uh, one of the you – know, got top view in bodybuilding and yeah. like all that stuff. They're just like – Men, men, you know, right. you do gnarly stuff and I couldn't yeah. keep up with them on anything. Yeah. Like they paired me with like the, a younger girl for the freaking um, Thanksgiving, you know, football. Yeah. I was just never that quick. Yeah. And uh, what I could do well at was be able to figure out where my limits were and understand why something should be dangerous and why something shouldn't. So we got the Naval Academy Bridge, 96 feet. And that's like, all right, you know, 11, 12 years old. It's like, let's, let's go gainer that. Yeah. And let's see how high we can jump. And then with motors, I didn't have to be more nimble. I didn't have to be faster and have to be stronger. You just twist the throttle and yeah, it takes a lot of physical and, but it's more of a mental game. Um, you know, cars, it's hundred percent mental compared to where sport, you know, lacrosse or something, it's going to be yeah. a little bit more of a physical uh, challenge physical. there. Yeah. But the, the, the mental aspect, if you can excel in it, there's so much to be gleaned. And we were talking about Stephen Kotler's book upstairs on, on the flow state or what we often call being in the zone. We talked about figuring out limits, though. It doesn't feel like you have any. Well, what's interesting is so many people base on, and it's what we see with sports, especially action sports today, um, you know, kids are improving so fast and it's coming so far, but they're not thinking outside the box anymore. Like, um, you know, when I was growing up, freestyle wasn't a sport. So it was like, oh, let's go build a ramp, you know, and growing up construction, like just go weld stuff and build stuff and hammer some wood yeah. together. And that's what I still do. And that's right. actually my passion is, okay, you can't do that. 
why can't you do it? Oh, well, the jump's not big enough. Well, okay. Oh, the landing's not steep enough. Well, we've got bulldozers out back. Like, I grew up construction. Like, we can build anything. We can do anything. Oh, it's too, too hard. We're going to die. Oh, let's use mulch. Now, with uh, the Olympics and all this stuff coming around for, you know, action sports, especially with snowboarding. Yeah. We got the like, bag jumps everywhere. We can figure out how to make bags for landings. I mean, Josh Sheehan did a triple backflip 100 feet in the air. And he pissed blood a few times on some of the, while <laughs> we were developing it. But, like, he, yeah, he's still alive. Well, just over 10 <laughs> years ago, no one was doing... It was just, it was unfathomable to do one backflip on like a the, motorcycle. Then you do two in 2006. It was like a mythical creature. And then all it's just bam, bam, bam. It's, it reminds me of, speaking of like conventional sports or individual sports with the four, four minute, minute mile. mile. And then just like everyone starts doing it. Yeah. Creativity is, is a big area that, that kind of like the, the light bulb goes off of me when I look at you and other folks in, in action sports, non-conventional sports, in that you have the almost the lack of governance and the ability to create your own game, which I think is part of the challenge in sports when you try to get athletes to think outside the box, which is so important. Yeah, there's, there's physicality in lacrosse and football and basketball, but the best players in the world are creative on the floor. But at the same time, and as, you know, as kids start younger and as you get better, there's, it's refined. There's a reason that the playbook is the playbook. It, it works very well in action yeah. sports. Um, you know, that's why we started like world games because in my backyard in one week back in, you know, two years ago, uh, we had a guy do a triple backflip on a dirt bike and then he went and won the X games, the biggest event with a double backflip that year. Yeah. Um, they weren't even doing double backflips at X games over the, the biggest ramp that they have. Right. And this guy comes out to the house, Jed Milton and does a quadruple backflip. Yeah. And I thought, okay, like granted, this is, this is huge. This is, these are stunts. These are like, everyone shouldn't be doing this stuff, but there needs to be a way to build up where you can go, okay, you know what? I'm pretty good at this, but I don't have the funding to build an, an airbag or whatever. Like we have to be able to build this from the ground up. And then you got some guys that don't ever want to see a contest, Yeah. but they're the most amazing skaters and riders. I was, you know, it's funny as in a business where a lot of the business minds that come into nitro circus are like, Oh, we'll just, we'll pay the riders more. I'm like, it, the riders will do this if they're paying every last dime. If they're, I've seen, literally seen a skater that wanted to surf and do all this other stuff. And they were like, Oh, you got to really focus on this and that. And he was like, yeah, he turned down a million dollar shoe deal that had royalties. that was probably going to be up to $2 million. And he literally lives in like pretty much a shack and he goes surfing every morning. He goes to work, normal work all day. And then he goes skating with his buddies at night. He's like, I skate because I love to skate. He goes, they started to take that fun away. He's like, yeah, I could, go out and I can make a living doing it. And that's what everyone says, but that's not me. Hmm. And I think on a business end, it's so hard for so many people to grasp. Like, why would you go hurt yourself all the time? Yeah. And for me, the answer was simple and still, you know, risk to reward always changes. But right. why would I quit doing what I love when, when I get hurt, I'm not worried about being injured. Yeah. I'm just bummed that I can't go hang out with my friends and do what I love to do. Yeah. Is, is, has there ever been a dynamic for you where, to, to, to me, you're still the, the, the same type of guy growing up in the same area, creating the same, the same ramps from scratch with your own hands, riding them, also doing the endorsements, also co-founding Nitro Circus and changing the game. Do you ever feel the complexity of like, hey, I'm turning more into a business person now or, or I'm endorsing too much and being pulled in one direction or the other. I, I know, I guess for an example, that was, might have been the case with NASCAR where your just time was so thin. You have a family. 
you know. <laughs> NASCAR is interesting. Um, I've never been very good at pavement. It's just I'm best. I th my talent is being able to analyze risk and assessing when it's okay to, to take chances. If you can't take risk to make gain, I'm not, I'm not the best motorcycle rider. I'm not the best, but I'm willing to put in the time. I'm willing to work. Um, but NASCAR, you have to be perfect every lap. And it's more about what you know about the vehicles, how you can communicate with your crew chief. I mean, we qualified pole once, second, twice, third, you know, fifth. We, well, he had a great career. Well, well no, 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 it was, it was horrible. But well, but, relative uh, to your standards, perhaps, yeah. but like top but, tens. Yeah, but well, no we, joke. You can't like, <laughs> I can't go and, and, and pick up and get in a race car and, and get even near qualifying. Well, so if you look at it from that standpoint, these guys, I grew up my whole life on dirt. I understand dirt. I can see dirt. I understand what it's going to do, where the traction is. Pavement was really complex. As much as you huh. think it's simple, um, a cloud comes over and all of a sudden you have more grip. You can go faster. Well, it looks the same visually to me. Like it, to so know like the humidity and the oh, the tire temperature goes yeah. down a little bit. The motors get faster. The draft was just there was a lot yeah, of stuff so, that was yeah. very complex in the racing. Um, the guys were super awesome. They really, honestly, everyone kind of took me under their wing and, and helped out. But I'm looking at guys like who I was racing at the time were Kyle Larson, who was in like the, the K&N, like the lower series. Um, and then, uh, you know, yeah. uh, Chase Elliott, all these guys that are now doing well, they're racing over a hundred races a year and, you know, risk to reward or time to reward. I'm like, man, I just had my first kid. Yeah. Um, my wife is a multi-time X Games gold medalist. She loves touring. Yeah. My daughter, she was, you know, at one at the time and, you know, I have two daughters yeah. and they love being on tour. There's always someone up. There's so much energy. It's so much yeah. passion with racing or, you know, with, with anything sport, my wife's like, you don't look like you love this. How, what's I'm like, I love that. It challenges me yeah. and I am an asshole when I'm at the track. Like I come out and you, you know, you smile, you're doing your stuff you need to do, Competitive but juices flow. but dude, all night, like I'll be at dinner and the night before the race and she'll be talking about something and I'll just start off with, Oh, we should have done the track bar down. I would have helped it. And she's like, Are you, you're just, you're not there. <laughs> right. So with, with action sports, I can go and I can have fun and I can do that with my wife. And she understands we're mm. not talking track bar and wedge. We're talking yeah. ramp angles and how far you fly. It's, I've, I've <laughs> been to a NASCAR race. It was the, the tricky triangle track. And oh, no. yeah, there you go. Our, uh, our owner for the New York lizards also owns and funds Richard Petty. Awesome. NASCAR racing. So I get to sat, I sat with, uh, Richard Petty and his trailer and we were just having a cup of coffee and talking about the race ahead. And he was very nonchalant, even keeled guy. And he was, I asked him a question about the, the difference in speed and what it's like to handle it on the track. And his response was, man, listen, Paul, speed is relative. And the way he explained it was, you're on a 25 mile an hour neighborhood road and someone next to you is going 50 or you're going 50 next to 25 mile an hour cars. You feel like you're flying. And then you go into the highway on 95 and everyone's going 70 and you feel like you're going 25. Then if something, if you're going 90 then you feel like you're absolutely flying again. So it's that like discrepancy. And he basically said, okay, so we're all going 180 miles an hour. Everyone's going 180. feels like we're all going 25 again on the same road. Except you, the aerodynamics are really messed up at that speed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, of course, I think he was, he was just trying to, like, get me to a place where it's less the speed and more the technique. Is that, does that hold water for you? And, and it, I, I would bet that, like, your risk, you know, taking it to the jumps and the freestyle, like, is it, is it do you even think about the height and the speed going 50 miles an hour down and taking off that ramp at 85 degrees up, which is basically straight up? Or is it just, or is it all relative? Um, you know, everything's relative. When you're 
four years old jumping a two foot jump, it feels like the biggest thing ever. And now I'm doing 250 foot jumps and thinking, what's for lunch? I mean, you know, it's like, it's all what you're, what you're comfortable with. And that's the problem. And that's honestly probably why I, my wife doesn't like when I base jump, um, yeah. because you always have to go a little bit harder, a little bit further. And, um, it's an, it's an interesting thing, but with NASCAR, um, when you tried to go faster, it didn't relate to time. You know, generally, even with rally, um, you know, you got all-wheel drive. When you try to go faster, when you put everything on the line, you're going to make some mistakes, but everyone's going to make mistakes. And it's about making the best of the worst situation. NASCAR, you, okay, if you have a great lap, you make a tenth of a second on the guy in front of you. So if you're five tenths behind the guy in front of you, it's going to take you five laps if you do perfect, everything perfect. And if you make one little mistake, if you overdrive just a tick. I mean, you're yeah. talking, you turn in three feet too late and you have to lift a little more than he did and coming out of the corner, you lose a half second back. Yeah. Um, so for me, I like to be where I can go in super cross. You could head to a whoop section. You're on the last lap. You're two seconds back. I say, you know what? I'm going to shift up an extra gear. I'm going to wheelie as far as I can in these whoops and I'm just going to focus. I'm not going to know what whoop is going to hit, but when it hits, it has to hit the top and the first whoop it hits, it's got to hit every other whoop after that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be going so much faster that I need to set it down with confidence, leaning forward, pushing this thing down and making sure it hits every single one. But if the next guy's not willing to do that, you can make up two seconds. You can win that race. Yeah. In NASCAR, you're two, two tenths behind on the last lap and there's nothing that you can do that is going to make that two tenths on someone else that drives perfect. Huh. Yeah. yeah. That's frustrating. That's, that's a big difference. Yeah. That's why I crashed all the time. Yeah, I was like, we're just trying to defy the odds there. Anyway, yeah, like, you're I'm like, do this. I'm like, I, I can pass him. I know I'm yeah, better. Yeah. <laughs> like, really frustrating sport. So, so Stephen Kotler uh, talks about decoding the science of human performance and, and the rise of Superman, that book I was telling you about, and, and uh, primarily uh, how he defines it as the flow state. We talked about creativity, uh, which is huge in sports performance and the mental aspect of the game, the sports psychology of how you're approaching these stunts that could – quite frankly, for 99.9% of the population, lead to death inevitably, except for the few of you who are confident, skilled, and, and, uh, and dangerous enough, and uh, you name well, it, the list goes on. I, I'd, just to, to stop you there, for I, there's two things I think you need to be in, in any sport, any contact sport. Um, the first thing, you need to be able to have that confidence and yeah. maybe a little bit of overconfidence. You're like, I know I'm going to get hurt in this sport, but it's not going to be today. It's not going to be on this jump. I know that I've put in the, the time, the effort, the work, the preparation, and I've committed to doing this, and I'm going to make it happen. But also, I think the biggest thing is that when you get in the air and you're you know, 60, 70 feet off the ground, and it's not going right, and you know, you know right as you take off, you didn't get the distance. You didn't get the pop. The, you didn't get the pull just right. Something didn't happen. You missed a grab. Yeah. You're flying off the bike. And it's like, all right, I can stay on the bike. And if I land upside down with a 220-pound motorcycle on my head from 50 feet in the air, like, I'm going to die. But most people can't make the decision to jump off. And not only that, to not just to jump off the bike, but while you're up there, upside down, looking around and going, what can I land on that's going to hurt less? And then you go, okay, I can jump off now. And it's that ability to not necessarily slow down time, but when everything's wrong and most people just lock up to be able to say, how can I make this the most manageable? And the most manageable might, might be two broken legs, yeah. but that's better than a broken back. It's better than a broken neck. It's better than dying. And if you can make those decisions instantaneously on the fly and be able to, without 
questioning, without hesitation, without any lack of confidence, be able to make the best decision, you will have a long career in these sports. And if you can't, you're not going to get there. So, so confidence and decisiveness are two areas that I miss. When, when we talk about decisiveness, I do want to hear about confidence because I struggle with that still. Like on, a, on a game-to-game basis, you get into a shooting slump or you know something happens. But anyway, decisiveness and your ability to analyze risk. Do you mentally walk through all scenarios before you're in the air? And so you're able to, to, to determine in that split of a split second, this is, this is the way I'm peeling off this bike. You, you have to know. I think or the, is it purely the, the, instinctual? The only thing that scares me, like I shouldn't say the only thing. There's a lot of things that scare me. But my kids scare me all the time. But um, <laughs> uh, No, but I mean, honestly, if, if, if by the time you get to something, like I practiced two years and done you know, literally 50 double back clips a day, five days a week for two full years, before doing it to dirt. And that sounds silly, but you, you know exactly where you are at every moment in every way, shape, and form to be able to pull that thing around any better, any worse. You know what's going on. Even at X Games, when you look and you go, so instead of having all these reference points like trees and stuff and daytime, yeah. you, you get blinded. You take off, you've got lights. Lights. And then you've got black you know, ceiling or whatever, or strobe lights or crowd. different color lights, yeah. crowd, crowd noise, all this other stuff. Um, you know, it might be lit up on the bottom. You might get flashes. So if you look down, all you get is flashes. And light. So your visual goes completely out, but you have to be prepared enough that you know instinctually and you can, with your eyes closed, basically do something. The thing that scares me and people say, what's your, you know, the thing that scared you the most? And I said, probably dropping in on the big wheel at doing a big jump because I didn't know it was a hundred dollar big wheel. I didn't know if the wheels were going to explode. I didn't, I didn't know. I hadn't prepared. I hadn't practiced. It's yeah. basically like, yeah, I think this should work based on it rolls almost as fast as a bicycle, yeah. <laughs> you know, but when you're underprepared, that's when I'm scared. Okay. This feels like a good time to take a quick break from our chat with Travis Pastrana to talk about Skillshare. Are you a professional looking to get a leg up at work? Or maybe you're someone who loves learning new things. By the way, these aren't mutually exclusive of each other. And if you're like me, you may now feel compelled to learn how to build a skate ramp like Travis does. There are architecture classes for that, among many other video-based classes online. I've been a Skillshare member for three years. And what is Skillshare? It's an online learning community with over 16,000 classes in design, business, and more. Starting a company from scratch is just as challenging as it is fulfilling. It requires a vast skill set. An entrepreneur needs to be able to go far and wide, understanding the fundamentals of legal, corporate structuring, management, sales, marketing, compliance, the list goes on. Open an account today and you'll get unlimited access to stuff like this for a low monthly price. Never pay per class again. And Skillshare is giving our listeners a month of unlimited access, absolutely free. Unlimited access to 16,000 instructional videos, Go to Skillshare.com slash Rabel to redeem your free month. That's Skillshare.com slash Rabel. You won't regret it. Now, back to suiting up with Travis Pastrana. From a confidence standpoint, are there ever times where you're prepared, um, you're, you're approaching the, the top of the ramp, and there is this inkling that, like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. 
And if there ever is, do you have any type of strategy that like is able to inject some short-term confidence in you? Is there this phrase that you tell yourself? Is there a, a superstition? Is there a way that you kind of shake loose? I know t- Tony Robbins talks about jumping up and down to get the blood flow going in his body, kind of reset the, the rumination of, of your mind in, in negative areas. I, I think that, you know, it's, I hate to always go back to the family and that stuff, but it's, it's most relatable to most people. Like for me, walking down the aisle wasn't nervous. Like I was already committed. I committed when I proposed. Yeah. The day that I proposed was the day that you said, okay, this is happening. Like we're, we're going to do it. We're following through. So the day that you say, you open your mouth and say, I'm going to do this. And my family, my dad only had two things and that was respect. And if you say you're going to do something, you do it. Hmm. And for me, I got hurt a lot because I opened my mouth a lot as a kid and I did a lot of things that I said I was going to do. And then I realized it wasn't going to work, but you already said it. So shit, here we go. Kind of deal. Um, but with that, once I say I'm going to do something, that's where the fear comes because you got to analyze enough. And then after that, even if you know, it's not going to work, you go, I, I committed to it. Yeah. And I, if I'm scared right now, that's not, that's not going to help me at all. Resilience is unbelievable. (laughs) And, and okay, so, so then timing now, you're, you're in the air, something's going wrong. Um, we talked about how, what feels like to high performance athletes when you're in the zone is time kind of stops. So while I'm going, you have that split, split second to react and be instinctual and say, I'm going to peel off this way, or I'm going to, uh, pull the pull on the handles in one direction and get out and, you know, sacrifice my legs, less my head, whatever it is like that time in the moment actually feels longer, doesn't it? It's, it's amazing. I've actually done a lot of research on this because it was, it's a very fascinating thing for me. Um, like even Eckhart Tolle, I mean, not so much into the, um, the spiritual side as much, but just, you know, that, oh, you can stop time. It's just, you're, when you're not thinking about anything else, time lasts longer. And I'm like, that, that might be the case. Uh, it seems like it's more just everything functions like it's an imprint on your mind where, for some reason, you can recognize everything that's happening in real time. And your senses are more like, alarmed, right? Smell. I remember from, you know, probably 15 or 20 times in my life, that's sad that there's been that many that I thought I was going to die. But like every moment that you honestly, in your head, think this could be it if I don't like do something about it. I remember every, I mean, every smell, every sound, every camera flash, every detail in so much clarity, it's, it's ridiculous. Like I could... I mean, if I could draw, if I was an artist, I could yeah. draw exactly all the way through every image, yeah. um, the scent, the everything, um, which is something that it's really weird because in my day-to-day life, like we were just talking earlier, I, I have the worst memory. Yeah. Um, but it's that, that fight or flight, that, that time when everything matters, it really matters. And that's why sport's so great. Yeah. That's why these things, everyone always says, man, this is about life and death, but they don't mean it. You know, oh, this is a, a winning, I had a winning day. What, did you send 100 emails? I mean, I'm not saying that's a yeah. bad thing, but it's just like there's no checkered flag for most of the world anymore. And that's, I feel like you know, men, we came for women, whatever. Like yeah. it doesn't matter, like just the mankind in general, you come from this survival, this this need to to want to be the best. And now, you know, we go to the track and, you know, everyone gets, I mean, I'm all for it. You know, like, you know, you want to support and like, for the kids coming up, but everyone gets a trophy. Everyone gets the same size. There's no winners. There's no losers. It's like, okay, that's, I understand that, but man, then why do it? Hmm. Why could be, I mean, I'll play foosball and it'll get heated. I mean, there's people pretty much punching, you know, through the wall, losing a foosball game because you have to make it matter. 
Yeah. And I feel like if life doesn't have those things that matter, then it's just not worth it. Yeah. I, I, I like looking at, looking at life from that perspective and the way that we're constantly maneuvering, whether it's the, whether we're in the workforce or in sports, three things kind of stand out to me. And it's kind of the way that many Buddhists look at uh, the way the, the, the human uh, is, is constantly reacting and maneuvering him or herself through life. And it's in fear of pain or away from pain toward more pleasure and more pleasure you get the, the shorter time that it actually lasts. The example would be like the first time you taste your favorite food called a slice of pizza. It's so memorable. There's so much dopamine release that happens. And then each time thereafter, it's less and less. And actually you get the dopamine release before you even take the bite because you're like, here's the slice. Uh, and, and then the last one is, uh, is the never enough. And so two things kind of stick out to me when you said that. The mindset of, okay, single back flip, double back flip, triple back flip. It's like, how can we continue to push the limits? Um, but the bigger one is like, doesn't seem there, there to be like a fear of pain for you guys. Is it, or, or, or is pain just recognizable? It's there and we move through it. Does that commitment to the job supersede any of it? Are you not even thinking about it? That's, that's a word. Been injured a lot. Yeah, man. but that's that, that word <laughs> job. And that is what's really interesting for me is that action sports, I mean, sport in general, like you look at, you know, even looking at concussions in, in all sport, but football yeah. and all this stuff and, you know, um, you know, knees and shoulders and all like, oh man, this is, this is horrible. Or how many friends you've had paralyzed or, or lost yeah. um, for, for myself, especially in the base jump world and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, is it, is it worth it? Is it worth the money? No, it's not worth the money. It is not a job. You do this because it's so much better than getting a real job, than doing that stuff that everyone, like if you're doing it for the money, you, you know, people that run race teams. Probably wrong intention. Well, no, but I'm just saying like, if you're doing it for the money, you, if you put in as much work as any, and I don't care what their image, what their background, what you think of that person as a human being, any athlete that is the best in the world at whatever they do, puts in enough work to make millions and millions of dollars at whatever they decided to put their, their time and, and money air, you know, time into. That's just my, my opinion on that. Hmm. Hmm. So to do it for the money is not going to work because you'll realize that sacrificing your body and the amount of pay you get for it and the amount of hours that you have to spend. I mean, it's, you, know, you have so many guys that, um, especially in, in racing, they, they have a hard time you know, keeping the relationships going because when you're in racing, I didn't realize it until I was in NASCAR where everyone's like, oh, those guys aren't real drivers. I'm like, dude, Every second of every day is analyzing every video that's ever happened from every race that's ever happened on that track. It's going and talking to your crew chief and finding that little, I'm talking of a half a tenth of a second of lap is the difference between guys that are winning championships and guys you've never heard of. Um, yeah. You know, and that's, it's that dedication that's just surpasses everything else that if you were doing it for the money, you don't have any other life, yeah. but you would do anything to be able to do it. Yeah. So crazy. The, the margin for error and the margin of victory is, is so, so thin in sports. And you can be very confident looking at two competitors, track records, resumes, stat sheets, or teams, and say that, that team's more likely to win in any given day. They're just as likely to lose depending when that like flow moment hits and who's firing on all cylinders and who Giants isn't. first Patriots like 10 years Dude, ago. My gosh, <laughs> I know. Yeah, that was crazy. So, so let me ask you a question then. If let's just use this as an example, Paul Rabel is uh, going to get into 
one or, or, or several disciplines in the action sports space. And what is like the income model and, and, and what are some expectations that, let's make the assumption that I was pretty good from an endorsement and, and competition purse standpoint? Now, you, you've already kind of gone over to this area of you know, social media and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So if you look at the, the most, the, probably the highest paid action sports right now, um, you know, action sports was, was huge back in you know, the Dave Mira days, the yeah. Tony Hawk, yeah. um, and the guys that are able to you know, start companies and start um, you know, video games. And there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of options. The skaters still have shoe endorsements and that kind of stuff. But um, you know, if you're looking at a half million dollars a year is pretty much your, your top paid guy on Nitro Circus. And that's piecemeal, or is that just from the purse on Nitro Circus? No, that, that's, that's like everything. That's, yeah. that's, that's, I mean, half. Soup to nuts. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, they're making so much money. I'm like, well, like, it's, he's doing 70 sh- store, uh, tour stops a year. Yeah. Um, so this is, I'm going to go our Willie. Yep. I'm just giving you a base. It's not exactly half, but it's yeah. that's pretty close to, to where it is. And you say, okay, this guy goes out and does all his, his own social media. He puts out a web edit every other year that he films for personally that, um, you know, him and his, a couple of his buddies go and they, they do it and they edit it and they um, get the music and the license and all that stuff. Um, that's on the, that's on the side. He is the first one there and he always does, he goes to hospitals. He does make a wish. He does, um, you know, uh, wounded warrior kind of yep. stuff, like basically anything that he can do. And he always gets, so he has his own um, company that does, uh, you know, I'm not talking what he makes on the, the company maybe as well, but like uh, with, with Mad Gear and stuff like that. Yep. So he gives out um, any fan that's just super, super pumped, that's a kid that looks like he's really into scootering, our Willie will go and find him and give him a scooter. And this gets more kids to want to, want to come and want to watch him and want to follow him. And then, you know, so he gives out you know, maybe 100 scooters a year. Yeah. And um, he's the first one signing. He's the last one that leaves. The amount of time this guy puts into it. Hmm. But he knows he had to take scootering from a sport that was not cool. And then when everyone made fun of him, he jumped on one of the guys that got hurt, um, Andrew Ahimata's bicycle, yeah. and did a trick that no BMX had ever done. And then he goes and wins the world championships for big air BMX back-to-back two years in a row. Yeah. And when they said, oh, that's not technical, yeah. he goes in and he goes into park contests. And he goes in. So whatever someone says can't be done, he's just a freak of nature. Yeah. But he also understands what the social media and starting a YouTube channel and the, you know, what the sponsors want and what they're – they're doing so you don't have to be the best i mean if you look at a guy like rob dyrdek yeah i mean he wasn't a bad skater right but he surely wasn't going to be the most um you know successful yeah. if you will if you're looking yeah. financial skater you know maybe second to tony hawk ever no. um on a skating right but he was smart he was funny and uh you know guys you can creative make, super yeah. creative always came up with stuff that, that people liked yeah. and his goal was also to to entertain so you have to understand the guy like nate adams um, never made that much money was the world's best in freestyle motocross for, I shouldn't say never made that much, but like he was always on the lower side where a guy yeah, like, there's this notion that athletes are all making millions of dollars if they're at the top of their game. Now, Brian Deegan, yeah. he goes, all right. He goes, you're the clean cut kid. We got this, we got that. He goes, you know what the, the world needs and Deegan's smart. Uh, super smart. He doesn't come across smart. Yeah. <laughs> no offense, but, uh, yeah. um, you know, he, Shoot, there was a time, and I don't really agree with this, but he came out and he told all the guys on NBC, NBC Live, Gravity Games. This is like 
15 years ago. Yep. He's like, I got the biggest new tricks. I got all this stuff. I'm coming in hot. They're hyping him up, hyping him up. He picks a fight with a cop the night before he gets thrown in jail. And the whole thing was all about the man keeping the metal militia down. Oh, no. He was coming to destroy the whole. <laughs> I won the event. Everyone's talking about Brian Deegan and how. My gosh. And okay, that's a bit extreme. But yeah. at the end of the day, like this is what you got to understand what your market is and what you're willing to do. <laughs> right. Well, before, before, so what you guys are doing is so revolutionary with Nitro Circus in that media, multimedia, uh, youth, global entertainment, live events, television, 3D movie, apparel now. Like you, you guys are full service. Prior to, and we'll talk about the timeline of that company, prior to that where you had the competitions and the kind of the plethora of them, it was a, it was a pretty linear way of going about creating a lifestyle for yourself, right? You'd get a deal with a DC or a Nike with an energy, energy drink company like a Red Bull. And then what is like a purse for winning a competition at an X games traditionally? Yeah. Traditionally X games is about $30,000 for first, Yeah, but it drops us, you know, 30,000, 15, 10, five. Yeah. So you, so you, you, like, you, you work your whole, whole year and going for that. You might, you know, your sponsors will maybe double they, that. Yeah, so, so they I mean, give you an incentive. And, and so the most money you're making is from sponsors usually, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. think about if, if you win, say you're in three events at X games and you win all three events exponentially, every one that you win is bigger, but you have just as big of a shot as getting hurt the week before X games, trying to get that trick down. That's going to be your, right. You know, your, your ace in the hole. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's where sponsors come in because if you didn't have them, you couldn't, you know, it's like Nitro Circus goes, okay, we want as many of our riders as possible healthy for the entire to do all the shows. And what we're going to need to do for that is give all the guys an opportunity to ride on the most technically advanced ramps, the safest landings, the most, um, you know, and then when you get to the event, yeah, obviously the airbags are gone and that stuff's gone, but at least you've been able to land on, yeah. you know, so you, you're pretty dialed. Yeah. And that helps. When you guys decided to go into live events uh, back in around 2010, um, was that pretty disruptive to the rest of the market? And how did you go about it? Were you, was, it was it saying like, okay, we need to bring talent alongside with us. We need to kind of get them over to join us. We need to have distribution in space, sponsors in space. And like that, that seems – it's very different than what you see in pro sports, right? It's been dozens of years since the AFL – you know, launched and tried to compete with the NFL and, you know, the same in basketball and haven't really, there's competition in lacrosse, but it's two different sports in the indoor and outdoor league. What is that like? And, and how do you go about that as, as you know, the man who was front and center? Well, we're not trying to be everything for everyone in action sports. We want to be the big air. And the reason that we came to that conclusion was Basically, I always like to progress. I like innovation. I like building ramps. I like trying new stuff. I don't want to do the same thing that I did last year. I don't want to pull my toes. It's not gymnastics. This is about doing stuff that people think is impossible. That's never been done before. And if you don't change the ramps and change the bikes and change the rules, yeah, it it doesn't work. So the more that this became a sport, the more freedom it took out of. And honestly, the the more that it hurt the sport in general, in my opinion, you still need the X games for all these sports, for uh, skate street, for the technical stuff, yeah. for everything. You need Red Bull X fighters to go and, you know, shut down slang castle and, you know, yeah. and jump over the, the yeah. place. And, um, but nitro came at it and we said, okay, look at skate skate went huge in the, you know, in the, the early eighties, it died. It came back with X games. It kind of fell off again. It is it, coming back now. 
Um, you know, we get Olympics and Olympics all this other stuff. Really helpful, yeah. It's super helpful. Um, but why has it died? It's died because it went from something that kids enjoyed to do in their backyard. They were passionate about. They were building ramps. They were it was, nothing was set. Nothing was. It was freedom. Mm-hmm. It was all those kids that were. They could have been super smart. Um, they could have been super talented. They could have been great athletes, but they didn't like coaching. They didn't like to be told what to do. They liked to do it on their own. They might not have been the best in school, not because they didn't, um, you know, they weren't book smart, but yeah. just because they couldn't relate to how people were telling them what to do. So action sports, it's it's that that mindset of let's let's do stuff that's never been done. I don't want to do what you've done. That that's been done. Let's yeah. let's let's expand that. Um, so. For me, sorry to get so long-winded on this, but no, it's, it's not at all. It's a really important. It reminds me of an entrepreneur's mindset, <laughs> right? It's like I don't want to go work for a big blue chip company and go on the traditional promotional path of going from analyst to associate to you know broker or whatever it is. And it's like I believe in something that I'm passionate about, that I want to start, that I want to build from the ground up, um, but, create but, a culture around it. But even even more than that, like Red Bull did a great job as a brand to create an entire culture. Oh, around. unbelievable. It's amazing. Most forward-thinking brand on the planet. Huge. Yeah. I mean, now, I mean, yeah, Dietrich has a MIG that he flies around. How, how cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's all another story. Uh, so, uh, but, so we said, okay, why does that stop? So, well, because it goes from backyard and guys innovating and building new ramps and always testing stuff and like just a backyard jam that's so much fun and everyone's freedom to do whatever. And then you go bigger where, okay, now it starts to get picked up and you get sponsors and everything gets kind of mandatory. Like mm-hmm. this is the ramps and the ramps are too big to build in your backyard. The average kid can't build, you know, a mega ramp in his backyard. It's a 70 foot roll in 70 foot tall, yeah. you know, with a 30 foot tall gigantic, you know, huge quarter pipe at the bottom. Like you just, the money to do that is, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So all of a sudden this thing that was fun is now structured that is now out of reach. Kids right. can't, they can't get there. They're like, well, that's cool. I'll play that on a video game, but I can't ever do that. Um, unless, you know, their parents have money or they right. have connections with sense. somebody yeah. or whatever. And the, the kids, they stop. It's like social media. They want to be related. They want to relate to something. They want to be able to be a part of something. Mm-hmm. And if they can't do it, they just, they lose interest. So Nitro says, okay, let's have training facilities that we're not going to take them from the ground up. But if, they show potential. They're good. They go to Woodward and, you know, now with social media, if you're good, like we'll find you. Yeah. (laughs) People always say, how do you get in? You know, people hear about guys that are, that are doing stuff that's never been done. Um, but as that progresses, bring them along. And the reason we started the touring was because these guys, we go, okay, we can have one big event a year, maybe two, you know, there's, there's maybe five or six big events a year, but you know, if you're not top 10 in the world, you can't make a living doing this. But what if you're really good? And what if you just want to do video parts? All right, that's great. So now we went from show on MTV. Now we have uh, NBCSN. We've got basically, yeah. we have different TV stations playing Nitro Circus in different forms all over the world. Yep. And it's cool because a lot of stuff, U.S. is one of our weakest markets, to yep. be perfectly honest. Um, you know, we have like hmm. 14% brand recognition in the U.S., whereas in New Zealand, we have 85% brand recognition. Wow. Like, so basically you walk down the street and street bike Tommy is like, there's 60 year old women going, Hey, street bike Tommy. Yeah. So for like our sports listeners to give you an idea, we're talking about valuations existing and we'll get into uh, when Mike Pora came on and was running live events alongside um, you and, and Godfrey to the capital injection from the rain group, which 
has the likes of WME and UFC and uh, Vice Media and Univision in their portfolio. We're talking about some of the best venture money, private equity money, growth capital, South Park on the planet, um, rolling out these youth strategies and all that stuff. The, the, the media, though, was what the business was built off of. And it was a DVD that you got together with your cousin down uh, in Utah, right? And put it together? Yeah, well, so this was, it was interesting um, how that all kind of came about. I was, um, there was a... This was back in 2003? So well, if, if you're looking at, you go back to 99, um, take guy, Greg Godfrey. Yeah. Um, Mormon guy, loved to ride motorcycles, loved to snowboard. Yeah. His best friend, really good snowboarder, um, get a little fatter, but funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> his parents said, you either have to take a missions trip or you got to become a lawyer thinking, of course, he's going to go on his mission trip. And he said, yeah, not for me. Yeah. Went, became a lawyer. So, and this time that he was, Jeremy Rawl was becoming a lawyer, Greg Godfrey went and was working t- on Touched by an Angel um, as a key grip. No way. And was like, yeah, moved, to, moved, his, his to, film background, yeah, yeah. moved to California and was like, this sucks. He's like, I'm going to make a motorcycle film. So he came back <laughs> and made a film called Legacy that actually was pretty cool. But he's like, I can't get a hold of any of the riders. And so he came to me, and I was like 17 at the time, and he's like, hey, do you want to do a video? I'm like, ah, no, I'm doing racing and this and that. He goes, what, what's the one thing you'd really want to do? I was like, oh, dude, I like to like, base jump a motorcycle in the Grand Canyon. I was totally joking. Yeah. On my 18th birthday, when it's legal to base jump, he called me up and said, okay, it's all set up. In two weeks, you're going to base jump in the Grand Canyon. We've got you the best base jump guy in the world. He's coming out here. He's going to teach you like uh, skydiving and all this stuff. I was like, count me in. And so, then once you said you're in, we that, know you now. You're in. I'm in. All the way up to that moment. I was, I was in. That was, <laughs> yeah. We were fine. Confidence so, is taken care of. So fast forward two years and I'm doing more video stuff and more X Games and the racing industry is like, what the hell are you doing with your, your career? You're throwing it down the toilet. And I'm like, I'm having a lot of fun and I'm waking up every morning with a passion and kind of get back to my, my dad was always like, I hate to go off on another tangent, but he goes, look, your uncle was probably the best athlete that's ever come out of Maryland. Yeah. He was unscored on his high school year not even like unbeaten, unscored on in, re- in wrestling. Yeah. Never one point scored on him, one of the national championships. He's like All-American lacrosse, football. He goes, he's still working instruction with us. He's like, this, you're not going to make a living in any sport, but any day that you have to do your passion, do it. He said, run it until the wheels fall off. Hmm. But never do it for the money, never do it for the fame, never do it for anything but yourself. He goes, because it's not worth the injuries you're going to take. It's not worth... It's not. It's just not worth it on your body. It's not worth it on anything. But if you love it, do it. So I always took that and said, okay, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. And eventually, I'm just going to end up working construction with my family. And luckily, that passion has carried on to, to more things. But but you're doing. You're still doing that in a way. You're doing construction for Nitro. And yeah, these new ramps that's exactly stuff, you know the same I mean? stuff. <laughs> but so long story long on Nitro, uh, we start this DVD series just as a way to fund us playing. Why did you come up with the name Nitro? I was Greg Godfrey. I don't know. We, okay. I couldn't come up with anything else. Yeah. And it sounded stupid. Nitro Circus. But now it really is a it, circus. It so. carried over. And it, now it, it actually makes sense. More now than it did originally. But, yeah. Um, but so Johnny Knoxville yeah. sees Nitro Circus DVD. And when Evil Knievel died, he said, look, we're doing a 24-hour jackass takeover of MTV. He goes, I can't fill 24 hours. I need some stunt guys. Matt Hoffman, who was my hero, recommended us. So I sent, he's like, send me a few ideas. I sent Knoxville a list of like 20 pages. He goes, calls me up right away. He's like, dude, can you do any of this? I'm like, 
fuck if I know, but yeah. we'll try it all. Yeah, yeah. He's like, all right. Two weeks later, we had a show on MTV. Show on MTV. <laughs> and so you have – so that's interesting. I was going to ask the, the then DVD to television model, the movie model, and, and reality television show, live shows on MTV because – there's a business that's also a portfolio company of Rain Group that also is, has north of a billion dollar valuation. And that's what I was going to get to. I just started talking about the business, but like we're talking about a, a Nitro Circus, 85% brand recognition in New Zealand, is is hovering around a billion dollar valuation in terms of acro- across its properties. UFC was acquired by Dana White and his partners for two million dollars for the name and the octagon, the intellectual property for the octagon. They were. They were underwater through the first 10 years and launched a reality show, The Ultimate Fighter, which was right around like 2005. And uh, your first show on MTV came out in like 2006. So it, it was really like capitalizing on media. I think at modern media now and social media, you guys have been on the wave from the beginning with DVD to capitalizing reality show, film. Now you have a huge social media presence. Did you were tied into Jackass? Did did you guys ever look at what was going on with even Rob Deerdick and Robin Big and getting the that MTV well, deal? It was, was it was all the same. We were under the same umbrella of a uh, Dick House, honestly. Oh, really? This <laughs> is really funny. So yeah. they did uh, Dick House Productions, did Nitro Circus, Jackass, Robin Big, um, yeah, did they, Fantasy Factory, all that. So did they come to you, or did you go to them? Um, well, mutual. that was all because Knoxville was part of Dick House. Yeah. Um, it's funny saying the names these guys come up with. They're just a bunch yeah. of, they're literally a bunch of jackasses, but they, they were smart. It was wild. Yeah. I mean, that show was like ludicrous, wasn't it? And it's popularity and, and, uh, and, and we, we never touched to monetize. with Nitro Circus. We, cause we had so many guys that were athletes. We weren't willing to go there. We weren't willing to hurt ourselves to hurt ourselves. We, we literally wanted to keep it where, we thought we got hurt more than those guys did, but we, we always went in with the attention that this is not going to hurt, that this is, you know, that we're doing this. And we had Tommy, we had a funny guy on the show who got hurt a lot just because he's fat and didn't know how to do anything. But did Dick House cut a deal with then Godfrey Entertainment? So Dick House and Godfrey Entertainment, which was me, Jeremy Rawl, the mm-hmm. lawyer, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Greg Godfrey. Um, so we, we went and partnered that. So okay, you partnered there. Which was cool. And then... It was really interesting because that went for about two years and we got, they wanted more shows and more, and we were funny because they said we were the hardest show to, to, to rain, like rain, raining kittens because we all, that was our, that wasn't our job. Everyone else that came to MTV, their job was television. Mm-hmm. We didn't care. So when they set up a jump, so for instance, our first ever show that we did that for filming for MTV um, we go and we just had this jump set up for a car. I've got my rally car, like, you know, it's 120 feet or something. Like, it's bigger than anything that ever been jumped at the time. And our safety guy came in and said, nope, we can't do this. That's too dangerous. So, yeah, they, I, I got to imagine there was They so were like, liability. yeah, there's a liability. We can't do this. Uh, it won't work. So they took lunch break. Andy Bell and uh, Eric Rohner, well, and he's like, cameras, guys. well, no, well, the, the, we, we only have audio of it. And we got a couple of pictures on the wall over there. Um, Andy jumps in the safety guys, SUV rental car. Yeah. You'll see it on the top over yeah. there, upside yeah. down. Um, he took it oh, and shit. he didn't make it. He came really close though for a, for a Ford Explorer. It, 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 it exploded. 
Um, it landed on the backside, went end for end like five or six times, smashed, Eric Rohner's knocked out, Andy's laughing, they got the, the lobs on, so we got the, the actual mics for what had happened, yeah. and it smashed to the head of like MTV like safety. Yeah. His computers and everything oh were in there, and they're like, you're fired. <laughs> so we're like, well, that was the shortest run ever! <laughs> so we all went out, and we went, it was, you know, went drink it or whatever, and yeah. the, the next morning they called up, and they're like, okay, well, you guys call time six. Like you guys said, we were fired. Yeah. So like, no, no, we're we're not we're not gonna come in today. But we'll it's okay. We we all we, we book flights out, whatever. Yeah. And they're like, you guys don't care. Yeah. And we're like, no, like this is this is what we do for fun. Our job is actual. Like you know, Jim was a mountain biker. I was motocross. Jolene was motocross. Uh, you know, Eric Runner was a skier. Like, so when you take a bunch of guys that are just doing something because they love it, they're really hard to control. So then you have this media property. It's obviously it feels invincible, based given on what what just happened there. And MTV gives you your call time the next day, and it starts to take off. And then um, Mike Poor comes in and starts running the events. Was that was that a hey? I'm going to come in, and I've got an idea on we should we should take this property and and run events and turn it into something. And was he pitching you, or did you guys go out and find him? What was your strategy around? Let's turn this property into an, an event. Well, honestly, Nitro Circus at the time, like we had just like. We were about to do a movie, but at the end of the day, we're like, this is probably going to be our last bit of the run. The wheels have fallen off. We're getting older. We're not willing to take the chances. And at the end of the day, like MTV is like, oh, like you and Jolene have to have something that I'm like, no, like we're not, we're not, we are a reality television show, but we're not willing to do what the metal militias, what, um, so many of the, the successful shows, the housewives of whatever, right. like we're, we're, we'd rather do what we love to do. Or go back and work a real job than pretend to be something we're not or whatever. And this is a really hard thing to comprehend when you go, okay, you can look in like Rob Dyrdek would, for every day that they filmed, they did four days of refilming. So they'd get the day done and then they say, okay, how can we make it funnier? How can we make it better? Yeah. For every season of filming a night show we did, we did one day of retakes. Yeah. Which was just trying to fill in some blanks that they couldn't do. And we were horrible and they didn't, probably didn't use any of the retakes that we ever did. We're not actors. We weren't like... And now the next generation of Nitro coming up, they are personalities more than they were. We were just, we honestly lucked into a lot of stuff. But when Mike Pora took it over, he said, look, I can, we can make some money on this. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. We heard that before. Like, is it going to be fun? They're like, yeah, because we will have an all expense vacation for you. And you got to pick 30 of your best friends to tour Australia and we're going to do shows. And you guys are going to get to push the limits and you guys can build any ramps. You can build any landings. You can do anything you want to do. You get one year. And for us, it was pretty much unlimited budget. Yeah. And we're like, we have unlimited budget to build the coolest stuff that's ever been built. Yeah. And yeah, tour Australia. We're like, this is going to flop, but this is going to be so much fun. And Mike Poor is still the CEO and he came with the capital and basically said like, allow me to run the business op. And then you're going to be the talent. You're going to be a shareholder. We're going to be creative. You're going to be creative. You're going to do everything. I believe in you. And I just, I'm just going to figure out a way to, to bring in new sponsors and sell tickets. He sold out Rod Laver Stadium three nights in a row at 18,000 people a night for our first year in Australia. How did he do that? No idea. <laughs> I mean, this guy, was a, he was a marketing genius. But they came from – so Crusty Games of Dirt in Australia, well, it was a before us, like my – Start was kind of on Crusty Demons when I was 12. It was more of a rowdy snowboard, um, 
kind of a party life. It was more, it was what showed freestyle motocross is what got freestyle motocross off the ground as a lifestyle. Like Red Bull took and made action sports a lifestyle. Yeah. This showed what those guys did. And it was, it was nuts. Like it was not something that my parents wanted me watching or to be a part of at 12 years old, but yeah. They took me around the world and got to ride dirt bikes. So, I, and know. and and then you brought your best friends, who were also super talented uh, athletes like yourself, that that made the event go. Yeah. So they did. So Mike Pora toured for two years with the Krusty Demons tour, yeah. but it was more about girls and sex, drugs, rock and roll kind of. Yeah. And he's like, we're, we're, we don't have any future with this. Um, you know. So that's why he came to us. So it was a similar program, but we added the bicycles, the contraptions, and everything like that, and. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, they love action sports in Australia. And we picked up a lot of Australians on that tour for they didn't ride for hardly anything. And now they're turned into some of the best in the world, which has been a really cool process. Fast forward then to 2013, the rain group comes in and in- injects a bunch of capital. Uh, undisclosed terms, but Forbes reported it was roughly $60 million. And they were focused on new markets, new sponsors, apparel licensing opportunity, permanent show in Vegas, and then the Trading Academy that you were talking about to, to really get that, that UGC component, that social media style of relatability and getting other athletes or young athletes involved in Nitro Circus. What's that experience been like as you evolve from uh, creator still maintaining that status and developer and talent, but going through the organizational restructures of like now venture money? You know, the hardest part of about it is that everything takes a little bit longer Hmm. it used to be and that's why greg godfrey myself and jeremy raw never made a dime and i didn't take a dime off of nitro until we were doing the mtv show but we had been doing it for six or seven years um it was just for me it was an all-expense paid vacation and i had my real job so this actually kind of took it and turned it into okay when you say your real job what do you mean? Real, racing motorcycles and racing cars. Yeah, so I don't have a real job yet. I mean, <laughs> you do have a real it's, job. I mean, it's, I, it's, that's it's, what my it's real funny, job That's what we say in pro lacrosse too. We're like, oh, what's your real job? We're like, oh, it's, I'm always like, it is a fucking real job. You know? Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. But ra- racing was always what I considered my job. That's yes. what I spent my time on. And freestyle was fun. And that passion. And that, yes. But that's why it kind of worked because everyone could see that it was just what we loved to do. And that's kind of how everything came around. So Rain, the guy, Brandon is one of the, the – our investor, uh, mm-hmm. main investor guy at Rain, he's one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. Uh, he invested in uh, Trey Parker and the guys at South Park and the Margaritaville yeah. just because he wanted to be a part this of it. Brandon Garner, right? Yes, yeah. 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 Um, just really rad guy and came out here and we almost killed him on motorcycles. That's not where his nuts, not his element, um, as it turns out. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but anyway, um, he just wanted to do everything. He's like, dude, let, let's do it. And he gave us the capital to be able to do it right. With that, though, came kind of a, a weird responsibility. We found Mike Pora was a micromanager. Mm-hmm. And now we have 70, 80 people working full time. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's not, it's not something that's like you can micromanage. And we hired literally um, the best guys in the departments. And just so just recently, Mike, finally he gave up. He's like, all right, this is I can't yep. control what I want to control. I'm out. Um, and that in the last six months has Mike was amazing. Don't get me wrong, right. but it has opened us up to where every department is talking more to each other. They don't have to go through one guy, um, more or less for, for approvals and they can get stuff done. So when rain came in and Mike tried to be the CEO chairman, everything, it's not that his ideas weren't good. It's just that he physically didn't have the time 
to be everywhere and everything came, came it's to, a different management style, it, it, it came to a standstill our company for the last two years it was frustrating because as good as progressive as world games was and as good as the tv shows have been and every that there's so much more that's there we haven't capitalized on these writers that are doing their own hmm. stuff like like Let's go and let's have TV shows on every network. We got them on a lot of networks. Yeah, and now like, you're doing original programming on YouTube and taking taking advantage of internet. Exactly. And this is in the last six months, we have really been able to spread our wings, if you will, as a company, and it's been it's been rad. New CEO, new um, executive team. So, I've gotten more in with. I've always been creative, um, but I'm kind of get checked in with a little bit more. We're you know weekly meetings just you know sweet level yeah um yeah so it's there's more downtime there's a lot honestly it's it's more of a desk job than i ever thought i would ever be in uh it's not not necessarily a desk but um honestly that's what i would try to do if i if i was rain group i would say how how can we groom travis to to be running this company but but no that's and it's not where i want to go and it's not where i should be but for right now it's like okay let's just make sure it stays on par with where we're going creatively and let's get everyone because everyone in nitro had a little bit of a different idea of what nitro was and as, as odd as that was i was just sitting in the subaru meeting uh this last week everyone knows since the subarus in 2006 um tom dow came on as, as the um you know the ceo yeah and from that point on they've they, they had one goal one vision one everyone's working towards the same thing i'm good there's different departments of it but how you go about that it's like okay you know, we do one tour that, oh, this can be the biggest, baddest tour ever. And this is about quality, all quality. And then we do another tour and he's like, oh yeah, we're just going to make money on this tour. I'm like, well, you can't, you do one tour, yeah. one show that you don't bring your A game. You don't bring the best in the world. Oh, we'll lose money on that. I'm like, well then either don't do the show or, or Nitro, this is, this is our, our image is now social media. You do one bad show. It, you're, you're done. Like, I mean, the, 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 every, the ticket sales stop. So it's, yeah. it's just going, okay, we're a quality company. We are going to make, when someone goes to see Nitro Circus, they know they're going to see the biggest and the best. And yeah, tell us more money to do that, but let, let's market and let's do fewer shows. Let's do them right. And then yeah. when we go to social media and we do that stuff. So sorry, off subject again, but. No, it says on the subject, who is, who is your, your most attractive customer? What, what's the demographic? Are you, is it the millennials? Is it the, the Gen Zs, the younger kids? Is it both? So what's really interesting is everyone looks at Nitro Circus as, um, you know, as that next, whatever that, you know, the, the younger, you know, 12-year-old demographic. Yes. And while, while they're there, our biggest demographic is 18 mm-hmm. to 45. And yeah. it's which has the, which has the money to spend. By the way, is very attractive. It's the dilemma that a lot of companies have. We want Gen Zs, but we have to get their parents to pay for the product that that we have to convince the Gen Zs to want. What's great about that is now when we do these shows, the shows are so great for us and for products and for brands because when Nitro Circus comes to town, it's the you know the thirty year old father that's like oh dude my son has to see or my daughter has to see this and they take him there and once you see it live it's you know yeah it's It's amazing it's awesome millennials now are our parents yeah and we're entering this now generational turn to where millennials are still the most attractive customer for brands because they have spending power they're now starting to become high earners and they're influencing their offspring now but we take a lot of flack so military has honestly been such a big part of 
my upbringing. My, my dad was a Marine. My mom's dad was a Marine. My granddad actually fell off the USS Hawkins um, in World War II. Uh, you know, so I mean, like, uh, he was a cook, actually, and, uh, and yeah. uh, Golden Glove boxer. But long story long. So anyway, yeah. it's, it's a very military-based family. We just grew up with guns. We always go shooting and, and everything. And um, so Silencer Co. came on board. And um, you got, like, the Black Rifle uh, coffee guys that, you know, have the JT and Article 15 and uh, Matt Best and all these guys um, that are all doing amazing on social. and all. So we're bringing all these into just my world. And the, the guys from Australia, especially, that are still a lot of them, they're like, well, we can't have any guns. I'm like, why not? What's our, what's, what's our target demographic? Yeah. They're like, well, we still have kids. I'm like, well, and they sell plastic guns. And what's, they're like, oh, we got a video game coming out. I'm like, what's the best-selling video game out there? Yeah. It's, I'm sorry, but this is... Like the RPGs, you know, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's an interesting dilemma dynamic. We want to still be... We are very, very family-friendly. I mean, yeah. we started with Mormon roots with Greg Godfrey and those guys and myself being brought up with more of a military background, but it's military, yeah. but not... Traditionally conservative is what it sounds like. Yeah. It, it actually feels a little bit like a similar dilemma with WWE, who went from... I can't imagine we're in a similar dilemma with WWE, Dude, but... but listen, they went from... <laughs> so they went from the Attitude Era, which was like the late 90s where they were TV 14 and doing a lot of like pretty racy stuff between gender disparity Macho and, man, and all Savage. this stuff. And then they went to the TV, uh, TVG era, which they're in now. Uh, but, but they appeal to a family because it's important, but they also have like the older kind of beer drinking crowd, which is really important if you look at stadium revenues, right? Like there was a, there's a stat in, in NLL from an ownership standpoint, which is our, our pro indoor league where we play in these big hockey venues where, where they have the, uh, the, the per customer spending on, on merchandise and per customer spending on alcohol. And like this customer may get in the door for a $14 ticket. Ticket, but they're spending forty dollars on beer. I, I got an interesting fact for like, you on that. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. Yep. Right. They ran out of beer before halftime. Yeah. At the Nitro Circus Show. You guys are probably pissed. They oh, dude, but, money out of pocket. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, we, they just underestimated. They it? way under. So we had a rain delay at halftime. Mm-hmm. So. There was halftime. There was a two-hour delay for rain yeah. at my local show. And my biggest complaint that I got from all of my friends, yeah. oh, dude, they ran out of beer. How would you like the show? Oh, they ran out of beer. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> huge, right? It's like you, you, you take out a lease with a venue and you say, hey, what can we get a take in the, on parking, concessions, and merchandise? And a lot of like the big NFL venues that were in lacrosse wise are like, no parking, no concession, and we'll give you, you know, gate A, B, and C for your own merchandise, but we get a piece of your merchandise. Yeah. So depending on the favorable rates, and that also depends on the brand equity of what you guys have. I assume the rates you get in New Zealand, what it sounds like on 85 it, It's a lot better there, yeah. than what you get here. <laughs> yeah, it, we have to struggle to even get into stadiums here in the U.S., yeah. but... It's a big market for us, so it's, it, it does matter. So but. WWE, what I'll also say there, not, not comparing products, but their youth academies that Paul Levesque launched, who's now the, the basically this acting COO, who's Triple H, a talent now shareholder in the business, uh, has done amazing things for them because they've created, it reminds me a little bit of what you guys are doing, this pathway to eventually becoming a wrestler or a rider for Nitro. And it, it, it takes a lot of risk because you're creating uh, basically an entirely new vertical that was never there for a younger audience. And now that's what Garner is so attracted to you guys about and has helped build on, on behalf of Rain is this like youth 
global enterprise, these academies. And that, that's huge. But that's without the three-facet system, you have to have a way for riders to be able to make a living year-round. Yeah. Um, you have to have a way for them to show who's the best so we can get sponsorship. Because if there's no championship, if there's no goal, there's no sponsors that really want to, well, who's the best? Oh, they're all great. Yeah, not really for us. Like yeah. we want, you know, we want to know. And then you also have to have, um, you know, the video aspect where you can take kids because we can't travel with tour with kids that are, you know, that are under 18, really, especially in the U.S., yeah. depending on what the legal ramifications. How, how does everyone um, subscribe to what's going on with Nitro? Um, to attend events and what, what are, as I, I would imagine this is a challenge. It's for us and for many brands when you're in so many different areas within your respective industry, there's different digital URLs and social components, YouTube pages. If you were to get people over to the it's, most important places. It not, it's, it's different in every market. And that's just so Australia, the 80% of the people buy their tickets. And maybe it's because we're more well-known there, yeah. but they buy their tickets when they go on sale. So almost a year out, is where we'll do 80% of our sales. We get almost no walk-up. So you're cash flowing before you even have to pay the down payments. (laughs) The U.S. will get a third on the day. So the the event day will be walk-ups. Third of them. um, Which is tough. Like if you go to Salt Lake City where we always sell out, now they start buying a little earlier because they're like, well... If yeah. I walk up, we had like 5,000 people outside, which we should have done another night. But anyway, that's a whole different story. Yeah. But your, your marketing and your demographic in different areas, we found that we had to actually hire um, people that are good in that market. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just, it's been a, a really wild, um, wild ride because you, what works great in South or in Australia doesn't work necessarily in South Africa or doesn't work in South America, doesn't work in Europe or doesn't work in yeah. the U.S. You probably share a lot of this thoughts, a lot of these thoughts and, and URLs and stuff on, on your social media, which is huge, right? You have uh, two and a half million Instagram followers, six million Facebook followers, a million Twitter followers. How, how do you amass that over time? Or was there this moment where you just had this sudden uptick? Um, what was really cool was by pure coincidence and just a dumb luck, um, we were on the front lines of, because of MTV said, Hey, look, you know, they got all this new stuff. Like when Instagram came out, it was like the first day it was out. They were like, okay, you got to be on, um, hmm. you know, Instagram. Yeah. I was like, all right. Like, I don't know anything about social media. I really, yeah. I don't like social media per se, huh. but it's where my career it's without social media. We wouldn't have been able to do anything that yeah. we've, we've had right now. And it's just been, because I'd prefer to be outside doing stuff than sharing. Yeah. It can be, yeah, it can be a nuisance for sure. But, at the same time, like I understand that that's what sponsors want. That's why uh, our brand value is in that you can't buy advertising anymore. Um, our brand value is that live sport, live stunt is what TV networks are looking for. And we are the biggest player in live sport, live stunt with the biggest outreach to um, people that they can't buy advertising in. And it's been a really, really awesome thing that just and with Red Bull was always on the front lines of that. Yeah, which they been, were pushing us when we first signed when I first signed with them. They helped me start my first Facebook page and give you some creative power behind it. Exactly. Yeah. Give you a little if you put if you post something cool, they put it on their page and honestly the So the, you got a pump you, you got in early to Instagram. That helped. How often do you post? Do you have a strategy around it or is it just like Nope. It's probably so <laughs> I mean I was out here I was like taking pictures of my feet along your ramp and I was like, man, this is like content heaven right here. <laughs> the, um, what's really interesting is there are, that we have a whole 
digital team and a social team and they hate me because I, they're like, we need more out of you. Like, or? Well, we need this, here at this time. I'm like, look, you have a bigger following than us, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, now Nitro is like quite a bit bigger than I, than I have. Well, they, you have a, their YouTube channel is approaching a million subscribers, but no, honestly, but no, their, uh, their Facebook is like 15 million, something like that. I think, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I, then I they've know. doubled you, but dude, these numbers are insane. These yeah, are the highest but, numbers amongst athletes. Like we're talking two and a half million Instagram. I mean, take out like LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, you're, no, but it's you're top, been, you're top it, 1%. It, it's been fun, but I, I think like, I'm not on a strategy. I've always said, look, if I've got something cool to post, I'll post it. If I have something that yeah, give but, me some love, give some across some love. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But that, that's the hard part. If I, so even like, I swim all the time. I had yeah. both of my knees were jacked up and my shoulder, I was just getting back. So I was in the pool like so many hours a day just because the only thing I could do, I couldn't bicycle, I couldn't motorcycle. So I found these stupid little earplugs and I just posted. I was like, oh, hey, check these out. If you guys, anyone that's swimming and thinks swimming is boring as hell, oh, but. And it's like sell, 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 sell. No, I got hate mail. Oh, how much oh. do they pay you? Whatever. I'm like, you oh, sell no. out. I'm like, no, they, I never, I don't even know who this company is. I'm like, what? Well, so we got to be oh, so careful yeah. on that to like. If it's going to be an app, like people are like, you got to post this. I'm like, well, it's got to be so blatant. It's got to be like, yeah. you know, over the top, like making fun of yourself for posting it. So it's, it's an interesting market because you can't actually do what the sponsors want you to do. Right. And that's what I've kind of gone to. I'm like, look, I'm just going to post what I think is cool. And if I'm not doing something for two weeks, I'm on vacation. I'm yeah. not posting about my vacation. Yeah. I don't think it matters what I'm eating that day. I mean, I'm sure somebody wants to know, but probably not any of my fans. Yeah. Well, <laughs> A lot of us would like to know that those types of habits, and especially considering all of the injuries you've had and stuff like that. I mean, how many bones have you broken? I lost track a long time ago. Uh, but anyway, it gets, it gets confusing though, because okay, so say you have um, 40 fractures over seven bones. Um, now, yep. the doctor might have rounded up or rounded down one or two. I don't really know. So is that exactly 40 or is that like seven or is that just know. one? I immediately started sweating when you said that. Yeah, yeah that, was, that sucks. <laughs> so now my whole, I got a club foot. My whole right ankle foot's all fused. So. Yeah, you have metal and. Um, no, they just pretty in much. In your body or no? Oh, yeah. I mean, I got a lot. I got plates and whatever. Yeah. I don't know. How many ACL tears have you had? Four? Uh, well, so I've had three on the left knee and two on the right. And I don't have an ACL or PCL on the right still since 2000 or since yeah, 2000. You explained it to me really well upstairs where, where I was like, man, how do you guys get back so quick? And you were like, I, I don't have, I'm not required to, to move like you on the field. I have to squat and pull and kind of crunch and that time type of stuff, which I hadn't looked at it through that lens because you know, especially given your genealogy and your and your father and your uncle's history, you're a top athlete in the world, uh, but your 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 physical movement patterns are different than another sport per se, and just like mine are different than swimming. Um, and so your your path to recovery or back to bike, but it, it's also so you go okay, you can't do if you have a dislocated shoulder like um you know one of our guys he so dislocated shoulder. Um, Jay Tui on his second run of three, which he crashed it, obviously. Yeah. Um, he put it back in himself because once you dislocate a shoulder, you know, Gotta 60 or quick. 70 times, it, it falls right in pretty yeah. easy. Um, was up on top, had the, because he has to drop right in again. He's taping it down, has to change his last trick because now he can't go over his head with, you know, the tape's basically held down. Um, lands a triple backflip, which was the bare minimum got him in. So they take, uh, take seven, he got seventh. And then he ended up third in the world championships Triple the next day. Triple backflip was the bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, because his first trick was 
just insane. Yeah, he. I mean, he probably could have done better than that, but still, it's like most sports, you can't dislocate your shoulder and go back up and and stay competitive. But it's like okay, so different tricks require different things. Um, you know, the biggest things obviously are dislocated shoulders, um, knees, and ankles. But ankles, you put them in the boot, it's pretty much a, a cast anyway. So yeah. you break your ankle, and you're, you're out there. You're fine. I mean, you you're, I'm not a lot saying that riders hurt. are out there hurt actively. Um, for for the big events, yeah, because you got to think if if you miss you miss X Games and so in the same month this year was all three of the big moto contests. So if you were hurt before X Games, World Games, and um, X Fighters, your income for the year pretty much just went in a it's third. Just not an option. It's just then. done. Yeah. And then your sponsors for the next year all depend on kind of your your results. So you know, and that's the hard part about concussions and stuff. And now we're getting more into that and. Um, you know, also working some of the, the military guys in the, the boot campaign, honestly. Uh, yeah. So Marcus Luttrell's brother, just they got this whole system that's, that's amazing. They can, for PTSD and all the, like with Dave Mira, unfortunately, we've had a lot of guys in action sports that have committed suicide, um, you know, that have all tested positive for basically the, or, you know, the CTE. CTE. Yeah. Um, Similar to football. And, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's... The but, more I mean, you it, know, and though, these, I think yeah. it crosses over to other sports. I just saw something come across my Twitter this morning that there was a doctor at a conference uh, advising people not to play lacrosse, which was, over the past five to six years, seemingly yeah. the most safe alternative to football. And now, all of a sudden, no lacrosse, and it's... I would say lacrosse is way more dangerous than football. I mean, I... I potentially. You guys so, have well, sticks. We have sticks. <laughs> so it hurts more. Yeah. yeah. I would say it could hurt more because we are slapping each other with wooden and titanium sticks. But football, every snap is helmet to helmet. Yeah. Well, that's what Dave Mira was also so a boxer. Like yeah. a lot of the action sports guys are oh, man, into that's all kinds of different stuff. Can't imagine boxing. And, 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 and frankly, the sport that gets the most concussions is, is women's soccer. Yeah. At, at the youth level because uh, from an anatomy standpoint, their neck muscles aren't, aren't growing as quickly as the male gender. And taking a header, taking a soccer ball across your head is like the most dangerous thing you can do. And it induces more concussions. And that's taken out bike riding though. But like Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I'm 100%. Example. But like, look, you have to be able to, to live. They just had a thing in, in Maryland. They're like, oh, well, you can't have any play structures higher than six feet. I'm like, you can't come. sports. You can't, you can't do anything. I'm like, look, that's uh, the world is dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be dangerous. Some of the these sports, like if NASCAR was how it was back in 1980, I would be much more competitive because they didn't have the restraints. No one is worried about hitting a safer barrier wall at 200 miles an hour as much as it hurts. That's insane, though. You're, but you're right. But you're going to be okay. The car is like, you know, since honestly, since Earnhardt, um, the safety has come tenfold. Wow. And anyway, but that you can no longer take risk to, you know, I'm pretty soon it's going to be video games where it's virtual reality, where they're racing motorcycles that are on the, on the track and you're going to be doing it from. Yeah. I mean, that is the the case now with drone racing and stuff like that. It's it's on ESPN. Yeah. The Ocho, man. I saw it. It's real. (laughs) Well, Uh, Trav, you're the man. You shared so much with us. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it was, uh, this place is awesome. Thanks for having me. I want to keep walking around. and I'm not going to get on a bike, though, because I Actually, will... I'll take you for a ride in a Razor. It's the uh, closest thing to an off-road truck you can get. I- I'm all in on that. All right. Let's go do that. Thanks again. This was incredible. And where can people buy tickets to your next event? Oh, just go on NitroCircus.live for tickets and uh, yeah. NitroCircus.com. Yeah, at Facebook. I mean, everyone's probably on social if you're listening to this. So, yeah. Yeah. If you can't find us... All links will be on our show notes, as always, suitinguppodcast.com. And 
and we'll try and uh, hop on a bike here, cruise across your track, and then snag a uh, Instagram photo and try to get my followers up. <laughs> Burp. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thanks, brother. If you enjoyed Travis and my conversation, please be sure to let us know. Two big takeaways for me, follow your passion and be humble. Travis embodies both, and he has led a life that will better his sport for generations to come. I know this. Continue the conversation with us on social media, use at Paul Rabel, and be the first to listen to future episodes as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick, Team USA women's soccer captain Julie Foudy, NFL quarterback Drew Brees, NBA star Jeremy Lin, and more. You can find all of these episodes and more on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. There's a shortcut to our show notes, Nitro Circus links, Travis social media handles, other athlete lists, news, and headlines at our website, suitinguppodcast.com. And shout out to today's sponsors, Barbasol, Away, and Skillshare. Be sure to support them the way you've so graciously supported this show. We will see you next week.